Roller coasters are a really popular entertainment in amusement parks. But when life itself becomes a roller coaster, how will my heart and mind and soul respond to the sudden ups and downs and shaking? Hi, this is Brandon, and welcome to the Crucible of Thought podcast. I'm here to share things that interest me and things that I think the Lord has brought to my attention. And today's episode is titled, Roller Coasters. A lot of people really love riding on roller coasters, and so do I. They're the first thing I look for when I visit an amusement park. I love being slung around at high speeds through twists and turns, and even getting flipped upside down a few times. They're exciting, and they give me things I can't experience any other time in life. I once had dreams of flying fighter airplanes, and that wild ride reminds me of those fond dreams. The thing about roller coasters is that, ultimately, they're very predictable. We can see what's coming, we can prepare ourselves. They can be momentarily scary, but deep down we absolutely know that we'll be safe. On the other hand, coasters can be a lot more frightening for a child. They're smaller, so they can't see as well, and they don't have the life experience to fully trust that they'll be safe. As a child in the late 1970s, I got to ride the brand new Loch Ness Monster roller coaster at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia. It was a groundbreaking coaster when it was built, and it was the first one to have a pair of interlocking loops. I'd been on several smaller and tamer coasters in my young life, but this was far and away faster and taller, and it was scarier to anticipate. I wasn't a tall boy, so I was buried deeply into those tall seats, and I could barely see out the front, and after that stunningly steep first drop, we hit the first high-speed curve and the coaster banked sharply to the left. And not knowing that the turn was coming, I didn't brace myself, and my head slammed into the hard side of the car and I spent the, much of the rest of the ride somewhat disconcerted and unable to fully enjoy that experience. So it seems to me that maturity is a big contributor to the enjoyment of a roller coaster. My dad, much taller than me, could see the turn was coming and he had the wisdom to brace for it, and he didn't have the same experience as me. As it was also his first ride on the coaster, he didn't realize the turn would be that sharp, so he couldn't protect me from what he didn't know was coming. And in fact, some years later, as a young father myself, I took my own children to that same ride. And with the wisdom of personal experience with the ride, and an awareness of the hazard of that turn, I was able to guide them through that ride without incident. So, as adults, we buy a ticket to ride while someone else, as a child, decides for us. But either way, we pay our money, we give our yes to the ride operator, and we hang on for the ride. And we go home at the end of the day, hopefully laughing together about the scary-slash-fun ride that we just had. But even for adults, enjoying a coaster does have its limits. If you're not familiar with coasters, there's nobody else to reassure you. And it's kind of assumed that you're going to be okay, and it would feel insulting to have another adult warn you about such things. Also, enjoying a coaster begins to have its own elements of doubt. We need some faith in the system and its maintenance, and as we get older we can see the limits in such systems. And we've seen those articles about occasional amusement park mishaps. So what seemed perfectly safe as a young man might look a bit less safe with some wisdom behind my view. Furthermore, as we get older, we have less margin for the shaking and the forces that we'll experience. So at some point, that roller coaster becomes downright scary and dangerous once again, and we won't be quite so willing to jump on. 
I'm hardly the first person to make this analogy, and I'm sure I won't be the last, but 2020 and 21 have felt an awful lot like a roller coaster. There have been lots of emotions, lots of ups and downs, even being upside down, and many turns, so many turns, that we're really not sure we're making progress. And worst of all, we often find ourselves, just like on a real coaster, ending up right back where we started. If we can't get off, we'll have to go through it all again. So it's a lot less fun when it's real life instead of an amusement park. In fact, to me, it's kind of like riding a coaster in heavy fog. We have no idea what the next turn will be, just that we're hurtling along a track with no brakes. It requires constant vigilance against the next thing coming. And sometimes there's really no chance to brace ourselves, and we're liable to get beat up as we're swept along. And safety isn't assured by any means. So it can feel completely out of control, and we're not really sure we trust the ride operator. As mature adults with plenty of awareness of the dangers and utter discomfort in the experience, we're really not having fun anymore. We just want off and back onto stable ground. But maybe it actually is okay, especially when our trust is in our father to ride along with us. He wants us to grow and he wants us to experience joy in the ride. Not fun necessarily, but joy. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines joy as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. And that joy can occur even when we're not having fun if we anticipate the positive outcome of our situation. Our Father knows that uncertainty and discomfort are necessary sometimes, and He wants us to be mature for attaining the maximum joy out of the ride. For it truly is a ride, and we don't have a lot of control over it. Some part of this real-world theme park is not optional. Life has phases and a very definitive end, and we don't know how close ahead it is. But on the other hand, I do think that there are plenty of optional roller coaster moments in this theme park life, and I believe that they're training ground for the non-optional rides. We can choose to buy a ticket to ride those optional coasters, specifically so that we learn how to take the joy in the ride. That's how we get to maturity. We can remain immature, banging our head against the side of the car as we get yanked back and forth. Or we can learn to brace ourselves and learn to see the path ahead and anticipate the motions, and we can learn to trust the ride operator to keep us safe to the end. In John 16.33, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, and in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So we come to this issue of buying the ticket giving God our yes. I kind of feel like the poster boy for walking out the results of giving God my yes this last couple years, and the level of upheaval that I've gone through has been stunning to me. I really resisted doing that for years. I cultivated a general posture of willingness to learn, but not affirming a yes proactively. I'd accept what came my way, but I didn't go so far as to buy a ticket for those optional rides. Frankly speaking, I was afraid of the process. I knew it wouldn't be pleasant in many ways, and I couldn't believe there would be joy despite the pain. But finally I was shaken out of my comfort a couple years ago, and God taught me to give him my yes. And so I have, and I continue to say yes. And I have found this process so far to be pretty much everything I feared it would be. A comprehensive upending of my worldview, my comfortable places, my preferred ways of serving the kingdom. It's disabused me of countless habits and crutches and long-held lies. But I'm growing, fast, and hard. I've heard other people describe the last couple years as traumatic. I could also call my own process traumatic if I were of a mind to complain, 
But in reality, I think my father has been so ever-present through the process that I've never felt abandoned or hopeless, even as everything has changed. The rug has truly been yanked out from beneath me repeatedly, but I always found myself landing on a very soft place, not slamming onto a hard floor. And in the whole process, I keep remembering that it's all been a result of my permission to the Lord to take me through that growth and change. I should point out that the initial incident, which precipitated all these massive changes, wasn't something I said, sure, let's do this. But since I've tried hard for years to cultivate a position of humility and willingness to be corrected, in a sense, God knew I was fundamentally willing. So one part of trauma, at least to my own internal definition, is that the things done to you were against your will. So since God continually had my permission, even though I was scared, I can't complain fairly that he's abused me or that he did something I didn't authorize. Another factor in my own definition of trauma is that something caused damage. And in my case, the lasting result of my process will actually be growth and healing, not damage or destruction. The only damage was to things that shouldn't exist in me anyway. Yeah, it's deeply unpleasant, but it's resulting in growth. So my process over the last few years has been a true mix of pain and grace. And I'm reminded of John in Revelations 10.9, eating the scroll and finding it both bitter and sweet. So overall, I wouldn't use the word trauma to describe my own roller coaster journey, but I can definitely see why others do. Here's my sense. We can always choose how to mentally respond, and that mental position informs our emotions. I've always believed that our mind can lead our emotions. So when God decides it's time to grow us, and he triggers something that topples some pedestal or idol in our lives, if we choose to focus on the growth, I personally think our emotional response will be healthier. And the key, I think, is recognizing that God really is in control of this whole situation. So my responsibility is not trying to get out of it, but trying to get what I can out of it. As my wife frequently asks, what's God doing here? It's not pleasant, but he has a purpose even in allowing difficult things to touch his people. God gave Satan permission to test Job, not for Job's pleasure, but for God's greater glory and for Job's maturing. I'm also deeply instructed by a number of prophetic statements from leaders who I trust, even before covid that discussed a lot of what we see happening now in some form or another. Issues of racism, false prophets, toppling of numerous figureheads, both secular and religious, and more. And related to that, I recognize that a lot of what is happening is entirely consistent with Jesus and Daniel and the Apostle John's descriptions in Revelations of the necessary things in the end times, including that very specific statement that everything that can be shaken, everything, will be shaken so that only that which cannot be shaken will remain. From Hebrews 12:25-29, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let's show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 
In my context, that necessarily includes everything in me that trusts anything other than God, including how often I can comfort myself by eating out or going on vacation. And so so the upheavals in my daily routine serve to point out to me, in some sense, my idols, things that I turn to for peace and satisfaction. And I similarly find myself reminded that my provider is not the government or the FDA or the CDC or my employer or, or anything else. And it may well be that God is shaking my confidence in those things, specifically to turn my heart to him as my ultimate source. It may not be pleasant, but I can rejoice in each test and trial as I recognize his purpose in refining me. And this is no fun, but I'm also reminded that suffering is necessary for maturation. I hate the process, and I hate the suffering, I hate even the discomfort, but I can see it nudging me towards maturity at every moment. Here are some relevant verses. 1 Peter 4.1 Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. James 1.12 Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Romans 5.3-4, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So back to the roller coaster analogy, I pointed out that when we're immature, it's a lot harder to enjoy that coaster. I'm constantly being challenged to ask what immaturity remains, what dependencies or self-lies or spiritual bindings restrict me that God is addressing in this present suffering. I've rebelled against that idea for years, being quite afraid of the process, and I still wonder how far I'm willing to be taken by the Lord. But like that boy's father in Mark 9.24, I keep saying, I believe, help my unbelief. Or in my case, I will say yes, help me be willing to say yes. So the way that I'm really wrestling with my emotions these days is a very deep discouragement at what I see happening to the nation and the political system and the religious system that I've loved and served and grown up in all my life. But even that is another thing that I see the Lord shaking. What matters to you, I hear him asking me. Are my political party or political views something on which my security rests? Is my nation's progress or security or status going to be my lifeline? Do I depend on an institution for my peace? Is my church more important than God himself? Are my understandings of God, as immature as they probably are, more important to me than God's purpose in refining me and growing me? Is my own sense of doctrine more important than God himself? Am I willing to let all of that go for the sake of maturity and having every offensive way tested and removed from me? As David wrote in Psalm 139, 23-24, Search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test, and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any way of pain in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. So I find myself in a very deep peace, despite all the shaking and the pull of my emotions and the uncertainty of what's ahead of me. 
The roller coaster has no more fear for me, at least right now. I can relax and take joy in the ride, even if it's not fun. So that's my thoughts for today. Thanks for coming along with me on this wild, twisty, topsy-turvy, unpredictable ride. Be at peace and let our Father fill you with joy. And we'll talk again soon.